If someone would like to take these two fans and point them on you, you may do that. Yeah, extend them out, point them on you. You're going to need them. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. And maybe you could, you know, make it so that it goes on the people. These fans, I'm sorry. They should have been adjusted before the service. And like, yeah, and do that fan too, because it's like blowing over there all the time. Okay. Let's bow our heads together for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you tonight for your son, Jesus Christ. And as we looked in the scripture last week, Lord, we want to put our mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. And it is so incredibly easy, as was being prayed tonight and then the words of that song, to be so caught up in trivial things and things that don't really matter, things that won't last, things that will rust, things that will collect dust, things that will be out of style or out of date or useless in just a matter of months, sometimes a matter of years. You are our treasure, Lord. You are our inheritance. You're the best thing ever in our lives, the best thing for all eternity. We ask you tonight that you take the few moments that we have together to look into the Word of God, to touch our hearts, to speak to our soul. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been talking the last three weeks, and I hope that you're beginning to understand a little bit that there is truly a right way and a wrong way to live. There is the way of the flesh, we could call it that, the Bible refers to it, that is the way of human nature, the way we just are by nature, which to put in a more understandable way is simply selfish. And we are led along by our passions and our desires. Another way the Bible refers to it is there's the world's way to live. There's life from a worldly perspective, from a secular perspective. And then there's God's way, or the way of the Spirit of God, or the way of the new man that Jesus Christ put in us. Last week, I talked with you about, just to refresh your memory a little bit, that all of us on the planet, all human beings are dying, and we're all dying because of sin. We've been infected genetically with sin. Because of the choice that Adam and Eve made, their sin nature passed to all of us. Now, you may think to yourself, that's so unfair. It's so unfair that they made this terrible choice and I'm stuck with it. Well, that's the good news. You're not stuck with it. Put another way, you and I are not part of the Garden of Eden But we've been offered paradise by God if we will only choose. Adam and Eve were in paradise and they chose to sin and die. You and I are not in paradise, but we've been offered life by God. If will only the fruit of God's tree and that is the fruit of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. And so while Adam and Eve passed their sin nature down to us, we are able to partake of the nature of God by embracing Jesus Christ. But mankind consistently reveals his and her true colors over and over and over again by the simple fact that we do the same thing Adam and Eve did because we reject the Son of God. We reject God's life for us. But many do not. 
And the Bible reveals to us that in Christ, there is a specific way in which God wants us to live. There's a specific way that God wants us to carry ourselves. There's a way of righteousness. When we sing this song, I'm coming your way, I'm coming your way, it's a great song. I absolutely love that song. It's sort of an anthem. <clears throat> you know, it's sort of a personal anthem. But what does it mean? If you've been attending house church, you know that we've been going through the Psalm 119. <clears throat> Coming God's way means walking in the way of righteousness. It means walking in the path that's right. It means following God's word. Psalm 119 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. How can a young man, a young woman, keep his way pure or upright? By living according to your word. God's word is like a map for the moral life of our soul. Every day, people make moral or immoral decisions, ethical or unethical decisions. And the continual bent of our normal nature, of our earthly nature, is to do evil. In fact, the Bible and Jesus himself was very strong when he described this. He said, we're evil and we're wicked. Now, he loved us like we sang tonight. He loves us more than anything in all of the universe. You know, there are a lot of human beings who love wildlife more than they love human beings. They love dolphins more than they love babies. I won't go into that tonight, but it's pretty easy to prove that we are often more concerned about an endangered beetle than we are about babies that are stuck in plastic bags and thrown in dumpsters. God loves you more than the beetles. God loves you more than the dolphins. God loves you more than anything in all of the universe. You are the apple of the eye of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His Son. That whoever, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter what you've done. And that's really true. It does not matter what you've done, what crime you've committed, what sin you've committed. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ, whoever... Think about Jesus on that cross... Next to him, two thieves. Both of them taunting him. They're thieves. And what they did was really bad. It got them crucified. Jesus did nothing bad. He's being crucified. And finally, halfway through their ordeal on that cross, one of the thieves says to Jesus, Remember me when you come to your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. It does not matter what you've done. God loved that thief. God loves you. And because God loves you and I, His love is more than just giving His Son. His love also directs us in the way to live. In the way that not only honors God, but in the way in which you were created to live. The way in which you were created to be used. The way in which will bring you the most joy, the most peace, is the way of God. And so we're in Colossians chapter 3, looking at some of these things. And we left off last week at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 9. Do not lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old evil nature 
and all its wicked deeds. And in its place you have clothed yourself with a brand new nature that is continually being renewed as you learn more and more about Christ. Who created this new nature within you. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, a barbarian, uncivilized, a slave or free person. Christ is all that matters and He lives in all of us. So I want to comment on this passage for a moment. God tells us that by our faith in Jesus Christ, by that very act, we stripped off our old nature, our old evil nature. Now the problem, of course, is that... In our day-to-day life, we're still stuck in this body. One day we're going to get a new body. We're going to get a body that will never be sick, never gets tired, and never grows old. A glorified body, like Jesus had when He raised from the dead. But until that time, we're a new person in an old body. And this body continually pulls us to the ditch. It continually pulls to our lower nature. And so, on a regular basis, it's not that we re-believe in Christ to be saved, but we have to continually put to death our old deeds. And one of the ways we put to death our old deeds is by putting on Christ and putting on this new nature. When we came to Christ, we were born again as God's child. And something supernatural, miraculous happen to you and I. It's a little bit like, this is a dumb analogy, but you've seen those movies where the animals talk and they're like humans? It's like a dog being born again as a human, but still stuck in a dog's body. So he still kind of looks like a dog, at times kind of acts like a dog, but, whoa, shock, the dog talks. And the dog has feelings and the dog knows morally right and wrong. The dog's been given a new nature, a human nature. You and I, when we came to Christ, we were given God's nature, the nature of Christ. Brand new. And that nature will never die. It's eternal and it's new and it's righteous and it's holy. And it has the ability to be like God, to be godly in nature. And so the Bible tells us that the more we learn about Christ, this is why it's so important you and I continue to walk with Christ, come to know Him more. The more we're in Christ, the more we become continually renewed. <clears throat> it strengthens us, it renews us. You don't ever lose your salvation. When you come to Christ, you're His child forever. You have the royal blood of God flowing through your veins. The Spirit of God, the book of Ephesians tells us, moves in. Jesus said, if I go, I will come again. I will send the Comforter, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit as a deposit of your future inheritance. And He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. But that does not mean you're living filled with the Spirit. That does not mean you're living in the power of God because that only happens... As you make a couple choices. One, as you continue to turn from the old way of life and turn to God. Two, is as you embrace Jesus on a daily basis. Walk with Him, talk with Him, listen to Him through His Word. And three, as you do what it says here. Since God chose you, since God chose you to be His holy people, 
whom he loves. Clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for one another's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And the most important piece of clothing you must wear is love. Love is what binds us all together in perfect harmony. So let me back up for just a moment and explain this. The Bible says in the new life that you and I have, it doesn't matter if we're a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave, Arab, African, Muslim, Hindu. All that matters is Christ. All that matters is that you and I embrace Christ. Christ is everything. And Christ is in us. And when Christ is in us, we're family. And the Spirit is thicker than blood. We're family. We're more than family. We're part of the same body, the Bible tells us. Just as if you were part of my arm and I was part of your hand and we're connected. And Christ is the head. We're parts of each other's body. And there are people living on the other side of the world. Of a different color. They maybe live in third world conditions. Doesn't matter. They have Christ. We're family. All that matters is Christ. <clears throat> you and I, those that come to Christ, have been chosen by God. God chose human beings to show His love. He picked us out. And we're His holy people. And He loves us. Now, He wants us to dress differently than we used to. He wants us to dress differently than we used to. He wants us to act differently than we used to. He wants a different moral fiber, a different characterological look. It's kind of the look of God. Never goes out of style, never goes out of fashion. And he describes it here. Clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, or the word is compassion. I'd like to read something to you I found today. I don't know how this happens. Sometimes God is just God. <clears throat> Today's college students lack empathy. College students are young people. The reason I got this is because it represents youth today. College students today are less likely to get the emotions of others than their counterparts 20 or 30 years ago, a new review study suggests. Scientifically, today's students scored 40% lower on a measure of empathy than their elders did. The findings are based on a review of 72 studies of 14,000 American students overall conducted between 79 and 2009. We found the biggest drop in empathy after the year 2000. Sarah Conrath, a researcher at the University of Michigan's Institute for Social Research, stated. The study was presented this week at the annual meeting of the Association of Psychological Science in Boston. Is Generation Me really all about me? Compared with students of the late 70s, current students are less likely to agree with statements such as, I sometimes try to understand my friends better by imagining how things look from their perspective or walking in their shoes. And I often have tender, concerned feelings for people less fortunate than me. They seldom say that. Many people see the current group of college students, sometimes called Generation Me or Millennials, as one of the most self-centered, narcissistic, competitive, confident, and individualistic in recent history said Conrath, who is affiliated with the University of Rochester Department of Psychiatry. Conrath's college colleague graduate student, 
Edward O'Brien added, It's not surprising that this growing emphasis on the self is accompanied by a corresponding devaluation of others. The role of the media. Even so, Conrath and O'Brien suggest several reasons for the lower empathy they found, including the ever-increasing exposure to media in the current generation. Compared to 30 years ago, the average American now is exposed to three times as much non-work-related information. In terms of media content, this generation of college students grew up with video games and a growing body of research, including work done by my colleagues in Michigan, is establishing that exposure to violent media numbs people to the pain of others. The rise in social media could also play a role. The ease of having friends online might make people more likely to just tune out when they don't feel like responding to others' problems, a behavior that could carry over offline. In fact, past research suggested college students are addicted to social media. Other possible causes include a society today that's hyper-competitive, focused on success, as well as the fast-paced nature of today in which people are less likely than in times past to slow down and really listen to others. College students today may be so busy worrying about themselves and their own issues that they don't have time to spend empathizing with others or at least perceive such time to be limited. I wrote at the bottom, though, in reflection, there's something that these people, I think, failed in their observations. And I'm going to say it in your defense. First of all, we're all sinners. And all of us, empathy really only comes from God. It's called compassion. And I'll talk about it in just a moment. But I want to tell you what I think is the biggest underlying reason. Your parents. You are the progeny of the most, most divorced, prone culture in the world. And divorce at its heart is selfishness. It's about me. And many, many parents simply disregarded the feelings of their children, did not consider, wait a minute, we should work this out. What kind of an example are we setting to our young people? And what price will they pay from our neglect? This study was probably done by baby boomers, who knows. And they're always trying to defend themselves from the pathetic generation that we were. And I'm just telling you, I don't care what they say about young people. The culture in which you grew up in is different. And so there will be corresponding habits that develop because of that culture. But my generation that sired you is a filthy generation. We approved Roe v. Wade. We wanted Roe v. Wade. We wanted our sexual freedom. We wanted multiple sexual partners. And the example that we set was pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. We did not want to sacrifice ourselves for the good of others. It, we're the ones who started the me, 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 me. And we slaughtered children to make it possible. And we walked away from our responsibility. But again, it just goes to show that every generation has its own sins. God tells us, now that you're part of my family... Clothe yourself with compassion. Compassion is different than pity. Pity looks at someone and in your heart you, oh, I feel bad for them. Compassion is deep empathy with the desire to truly help alleviate the problem. 
God wants us. This passage tells us to be a certain way towards each other. Yes, we're to have compassion in the world, but the scripture first directs us towards each other. Bible says in 1 John, how can the love of God dwell in you if you see your brother in need and you tell him be warm, go on your way? How can you say you love God if you do not love your brother who you see, your sister who you see, your own family in Christ? God wants us to be moved to compassion. He wants us to wear his clothing. And then the Bible says to clothe yourself with kindness. Kindness means to make yourself useful. It means to be thoughtful, to be considerate to others. You see, the two great commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I want you to understand something. In the family of God, our first love is to be towards our brother and sister in Christ. Yes, we're to love the world, but first we're to love each other as well. And the Bible tells us here, we ought to be kind to one another. We ought to be useful to one another. We ought to be considerate of one another. We ought to be thoughtful of one another. In fact, the Bible tells us, because what we're doing here is clothing ourselves with Christ. The Bible tells us in the book of Philippians chapter 2, that though Christ existed before time, that he was God, and he did not regard equality with God, something to cling to, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bond slave, being made in a human body. And he became obedient to death. And then it tells us, it goes on to tell us, so, Christ set the example, you put others' interests before your own. Consider the interests of others before your own. And that leads us to the next word, Humility. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility. You know what humility means? Literally means? It means practice playing second fiddle. Be content with second place. Wow, does that ever fly in the face, does it not? Of our culture. Of the way we are. We want to be first. We want to be noticed. We want to be recognized. We want to matter. God tells us Christ emptied himself. You know, what's really amazing is how I just have to say this tonight and this is not going to make me popular. But I'm sickened by the cult of Christian celebrity. We have simply replaced the world's kind of fame and called it Christian fame. And you got Christians just clamoring to be famous. Musicians clamoring to be famous. The Son of God never clamored to be famous. He served in a little village, traveled not very far from his home. He didn't do miracles to get noticed. He didn't have a publicist. He didn't have a manager. He didn't charge for his services. He laid his life down. In obscurity. And it was through that obscurity he's become the greatest. The servant of all will be the greatest of all. That's following in the path of Christ. In our personal relationships. Rushing to be second. Rushing to put someone else first. Considering their needs first. Thinking in terms of compassion. Where can I show compassion? How can I be considered? How can I put others before myself? 
and we clothe ourselves with this. And then he goes on to say, clothe yourself with gentleness or not being harsh. Not being harsh. But a spirit that's gentle with others and being patient, being forbearing. We'll get to this. You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. I always use this silly little analogy, but it's, I use it because it's effective. You ever get out with a friend? This is one of your good friends, and they're always mooching. Like, they, they always seem to forget their billfold. <coughs> well, maybe you never have a friend like that. But there's some people like that who are always, oh, I forgot my billfold. Oh, can you get lunch? I'll pay you back later. And sometimes it's easy to resent that. But what the Bible tells us to do is keep in your pocket this big wad of money that's called allowance for the moochers. See, you just never mind somebody mooches. You just never mind when somebody mooches. It's just like, oh, you want to mooch? Sure. In other words, they took advantage of you or they looked down on you. Yes, your feelings might get hurt. Well, you're a human being. But we learn, and this is especially true, I want to tell you, my wife and I, this, is, this text has been a profound text for our marriage. In fact, I've probably shared this at weddings more than any other text because I think it's so applicable. On a wedding day, you show up and everybody, everybody that I've ever done a wedding, and I've done at least a hundred, always shows up in wedding clothes. But after the wedding, you take them off. You better learn to wear your marriage clothes, and those are found in Colossians chapter 3. And if you don't, you're in a lot of trouble. Because she's going to wrong you, and you're going to wrong her. And if you don't make allowance for those faults, they're going to build up and build up, and they become toxic to your soul and to your relationship. So see, God wants us to look out in the world, in our day-to-day life, with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with thoughtfulness. See, all these things are directed towards human beings, those who know Christ and those who do not know Christ. I remember about a year ago, I was um, I, went, I went up to see my daughter and, and the grandkids. It was a particularly hard day. <clears throat> I was kind of, frankly, I think I was kind of feeling sorry for myself. Jessica was still extremely sick and there was, a, there was a Culver's off of Brooklyn Center, Brooklyn Park Avenue. I always get them mixed up. But anyway, it's up by 694. I think it's Brooklyn Park Avenue. And I got off and I, and I thought, well, I'll stop here before I go. And so I got, uh, I think I got a hamburger. And I was, I was sitting eating and I looked over and there was this table. And there was this mom and dad. And, you know, I'm just, I, I, I realized when I say this, I, I was making a judgment. Not like looking down on them. I was just making a judgment. They looked. The, the car, I saw them get out of their car and it was pretty old beater car. And the mom and dad were not totally unkept, but I could tell they probably didn't have a lot of money. And, and then they had a, a young girl with them that was um, kind of, her hands were gnarled and she was kind of in a wheelchair. And they were trying to feed her and then they had a couple other children sitting there. And instantly... I'm not lying, but it was, it was because of my frame of mind at the time. I, I just started, you know, I felt really embarrassed. I just started crying. And I, I just thought, Lord, you know, my daughter is really sick and this is really tough, but you know what, Lord, that'd be really tough. That family looks like they're, that family looks like they have a really difficult time for a long time. And, 
And that young girl's never going to get out of that wheelchair. And I just thought to myself, I thought, well, if Jesus were here, what would Jesus do? And, you know, I can't make that little girl well. God has not given me that gift. But I thought, you know what, Lord? I know what I'm going to do. So I walked into Culver's and I said, excuse me, can I have a $50 gift card? And he said, wow, people usually don't buy $50. I said, well, I just, I, I want to buy one. So they gave me a $50 gift card and I finished my hamburger and I made sure my face was washed and there was nothing in my teeth. I went in the bathroom. I was just a little awkward. I walked over to the table. They were out the picking table. I said, excuse me. I said, I am. I, um, I saw your, your family over here and I, I saw your daughter. You know, I have a real sick daughter too. And I just want you to know my heart really goes out to you. And I said, well, I wanted to give you this. It's a gift card. So you can come out here and bring your family sometime. And the guy, he just looked at me and his eyes kind of welled up with tears. And I didn't want to make him feel bad. I said, well, listen, you folks have a good day and, and God bless you. He just went about my day. You know, I th- there's been other times I've done this. I'm not trying, I'm not trying to tell you the story to illustrate, oh, gee, Mark's incredible. Because I'm not. God is incredible in the compassion he's shown us. But I was just simply, it's a demonstration of compassion. Or I have a, a dear Christian friend. This is, this is the beautiful way how Christianity can become so exciting when we do it. There's a young couple at one of our other uh, locations. <clears throat> one of the evergreens. and I know them fairly well. And one day I just happened to call this young uh, couple. And... <clears throat> Um, the, the, the wife said to me, Mark, um, I was talking to your daughter or daughter-in-law the other day, and they said that maybe you had this, this uh, we were given a, a KitchenAid mixer, and my husband and I were going through a tough time right now. We lost his job, and I, so I make all, almost all of everything from scratch, and I make our own bread, and so it would really help me to have one. Do you, do you have one, or could you sell it to me? And I'm like, we we just given it away. And I said, no, I'm, I'm really sorry, I don't. And, and um, so I hung up the phone. And I thought, you know what, Lord? I, I want to make somebody's day. You know what I mean? Things were really difficult. Jessica's health was still really bad. This is one of the things that helped me get through, was trying to think about others. And I thought, you know, so I ran over to Target, and I bought one of these KitchenAids. You know, it was a, I think it was a couple hundred bucks. And I called back on the cell phone, and I said, where are you right now? Oh, well, I'm, I'm up at the Bloomington location right now with the kids. I said, are, are you leaving soon? She goes, well, I'm just getting ready. I said, listen, wait there. I can be there in eight minutes. I said, I got something. And I drove up and I gave this to her. And she's standing in the front and she just starts to cry. She said, Mark, I just can't believe this. That you, you know, you'd rush to the store. You'd go buy this. And, you know, I know how sick your daughter is. I said, you know what? I just love you. And it was something I could do. I can't always do something. It was something I could do. And I know what it's like to go through really, really, really hard times. Compassion, kindness, humility. It's so attractive. It's so beautiful. And it's so impactful on one another. You want to have influence on other people. You want to touch the lives of those around you, whether they know Christ or they do not. I've done this with people who do not know Christ. I've led people to Christ. By slipping a hundred dollar bill under their door because I knew they were going through a tough time with a verse in a different language attached to that hundred dollar bill. The Bible says the righteous man uses his income to advance 
the causes of God. The wicked man squanders his own sin. It's easy, isn't it, to squander all of our money. It's not wrong to enjoy, to go get something, to go get yourself this, or go get a treat, or whatever. But do we ever stop and clothe ourselves and think about others, the joy that comes from giving? And I want to close on this thought. The most important piece of clothing, and this is what the Bible says, says it's the most important piece you must wear is love. Love binds us all together. The Bible tells us that love is patient, love is kind, love is not rude, love is not puffed up, love doesn't, isn't arrogant, love keeps no record of wrongs. Love is not easily irritated. Love hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. We think about Jesus' love. For God so loved that He gave. Love gives. Love gives. Love gives. Love gives. And that's really, those two words, love gives, is really the description of all of 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. In other words, you give to someone patience when they're aggravating you. It's not patience till it's tried. Love is not rude. It's easy. It's easy for me to be rude. That's probably not a day that goes by that I'm not in some way rude or rude in my spirit. I just have to keep putting it to death. Or, or love is not puffed up. It tries to put others, wants others to succeed. That's maybe the best way to think. You want others to succeed. I used to think as a young man that Christianity was about doing great things for God. And what, what great thing could I do for God? And now I realize it's about helping others do great things for God. Clothe ourselves with love. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.1 Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and live a life of love just as Christ also loved us. You see, this is why the world is such a mess. The world cannot love. The world's love is at best infected with selfishness. You cannot love without the source of love. And 1 John tells us, God is love. God is love. Whoever is born of God loves. Whoever is not born of God does not love. For God is love. You must have the source. You must have God. This is why the world always falls short. This is why every other religion always falls short because it does not have the author of love, Jesus Christ, at the center of its belief. And he being the deity of each religion, the only deity. The Bible tells us, clothe ourselves with love. Clothe ourselves with love. Love is what binds us together in harmony. I want to tell you something, illustrate something about harmony. <clears throat> harmony only happens when the person who's harmonizing decides not to make up their own melody. Now, we've gotten so used to music and music sounding good, but if you ever watched American Idol when they had the four people, sometimes they had to do like four people had to work together or three, and you could see sometimes how bad it was. You know why it was bad? I'll tell you why the times it was really bad. It's because there were people there who were fighting for their melody. 
They wanted their voice to be heard. They wanted to be seen. They wanted to be out there rather than, hey, you know what? you got a strong voice here. I'll, I'll harmonize. I'll just harmonize with you. Love is what brings harmony to a relationship. Love is a choice that you and I make. And love is willing to be hurt. Love will maintain harmony, work to be in harmony, even though you hurt it. Even though you hurt me because I love you. Love's greatest opportunity is when others sin against it. Then we find out how deep is your love. That's the test of love. Not feelings, not, oh my gosh, I'm so crazy about you. It's, what do you do when you're wronged? What do you do? Love is tested every single day. And this is what God tells us to clothe ourselves. This is the right way to dress. This is God's way to dress. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Make allowance for others' faults. Forgive. Learn to forgive. Not because they deserve it, but because God forgave you and you're imitating Christ. Clothe yourself with forgiveness. Learn to forgive those in your life. Learn to forgive. Let go. See them as Christ sees them. And then put on love. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you that your word leads us to real life. God, help us in our relationships. I pray help us in our relationships to live out the life of Jesus Christ. The life of love. In Jesus' name, amen.